Hello, friends. You might hear a couple extra transitions and edits on today's episode because when you party with Michelle Perez, you fucking party. I don't know if it was the wine or the vodka or the rum or the scotch or just the great goddamn time hanging out with awesome people inevitably is, but by the end of the episode, we were basically recording this. Not this woman. Not this woman. Underpants. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to see Gene Hackman do that. Not this woman. Not this woman. Underpants. Don't worry, there's no shortage of madness in store for you from the movie and the people talking about it. So, uh, enjoy, listener. I know we did. Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks. I'm Carl Hartley. And I'm Max Peterson, and we are joined in the studio today by a very special guest, uh, returning for the second of our initial two-part series. Uh, Please welcome local rock radio royalty Michelle Perez, coming in hot from Z93, today's best hits, 92.9 on the dial. That was amazing. That was amazing. You're hired. Oh, oh my God! You're right. You're regular uh, uh, Robin Williams on the on the I'm, horn there. You know, I'm I'm getting more and more and into Adri- this regular Adrian Cronauer. Like it's all the ex- <laughs> it's all the extra practice because the only way I get to talk to humans now is through screens and microphones. So I spend a lot of time with one of these jammed in my face nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> some shit. Well, uh, thanks for having me back. This is so great. Thanks for coming Thank back. Thank you for suggesting. Uh, about a year ago when we first started this series, um, you had suggested doing, like, disaster flicks. I had no experience with disaster flicks. Carl was, like, these are, like, his childhood favorites, old hat at disaster flicks. And we, uh, you can go back and listen, listener. The uh, the first one we did was Towering Inferno. The Towering Inferno. It was 1974. I think we talked about it for like 27 hours. Your husband was waiting in the in the driveway. <laughs> and what's crazy is I could have talked another four hours about it. I could have. I could have gone on and on. It was amazing. So uh, we wanted to do it as like a sort of two-part thing. And, and there's two kind of famous disaster flicks from this time period. And for, we're finally closing the loop today. And we're talking about 1972's. The Poseidon Adventure, uh, directed by Ronald Neem, written by Paul Jalup. So it's based on a novel, which they show right up at the beginning. But it, the novel was by Paul Jalico, and the screenplay was Sterling Siliphant. Um, it's oh yeah, let me run through the cast. Holy balls! Yeah. It's, it's like a mad, 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 mad world kind of cast. It kind of is, but like the movie ends up being good with all the talent in it, rather than <laughs> <A> steaming pile. <laughs> 
I know. It's so typical of those 70s films, though. They're like the love boat. They that, pack the know. cast, yeah. So this one this one is a real banger cast. We've got Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Carol Lindley, Roddy McDowell, Shelley Winters, Pamela Sue Martin, Eric Shea, Fred Sadoff, um, and I... I don't have him like on the IMDb, but Leslie Nielsen pops up in this for like a hot second in the beginning before he, he drowns spoilers horribly. Um, yeah. So <laughs> for those, a of lot you... to say about Leslie Nielsen, by the way. I have oh a... yeah. I've, I've got a, a page and a half on just Leslie Nielsen. Alone, I've, so. I've got a lot on the, uh, the young handsome stars that I know of from like stuff from the eighties. Like, man, even Roddy McDowell in this is just a little baby and he's a, and Young. we're used to seeing him with like monkey face, so right? Right, like full, yes. full ape makeup. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, right. ape. God damn it. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time since we did the the series, Carl. Um, so what I but wanted to he doesn't get off that easy. It's literally called Planet of the Apes. It's like... Is that what it is? I always forget. It's like either it's Planet of the Apes or it's like Space Rock of the Monkeys or something. God damn whatever. it. So before I, I have a lot of questions for you about the Poseidon Adventure, your thoughts on it. But we have to start with some something topical. It is the Christmas season, and my wife and I were listening to your wonderful radio broadcast the other day, just loving every song you're throwing on, agreeing with every opinion. We usually do, but then then you just said this wackety schmackety thing <laughs> right on the oh. air to the whole public, and I just I had to find out if you meant what you said. And you said that you didn't think that just because a movie has a Christmas tree in it, that it is a Christmas movie. And the movie that you used as an example was Lethal Weapon. Shots fucking fired, Ac- Michelle. <laughs> Across the bow. Talk, talk to me about that. What is it about Lethal Weapon that just doesn't say Christmas to you? Because we did it as a Christmas film during season, was it one or two? It was season one, yeah. Yeah, season one. Maybe the better question, what about it makes it a Christmas film to you? Because I, my memory of Lethal Weapon is a lot of death and... There's a lot of death I mean, in Black Christmas, too, but that's definitely a Christmas <laughs> movie. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I guess... Um, um, I guess it, it, it never struck me as a Christmas movie. Okay. Like Die Hard. I know a lot of people think that that's a Christmas movie and I'm... it shows up on every Christmas list. But I'm like, you know, at the nuts and bolts of it, it's not a Christmas movie. All right, so maybe this would be a good time to define terms. So what is it about a film? When So when, for me, when the score actually uses Christmas songs to not only bolster, but give full credit to that original song, it's a Christmas movie. The first thing you hear in Lethal Weapon is rocking around the Christmas tree. It's true. <laughs> Look, I am perfectly willing to be wrong here. Remember, I'm a radio host, not a. I don't. I don't hold a move. I don't have a, a movie podcast. It's like, wait, wait, we get her back on the show. We're just gonna tear her apart for her Christmas movie. <laughs> no, I know. No. I yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. I think no. I think you may be right. And in all fairness, um, my memories of it, I haven't seen it recently, so I'm gonna be more than happy to revisit it. Absolutely. Besides the score, though, to be fair, there's nothing to do with Christmas. There's I, a tree at one point. I disagree because I f- remember the final shot of that first Lethal Weapon movie. Carl is him. His, he's tweaking that Christmas light. The bulb comes on. He goes uh, back inside, and he g- gifts Murta the bullet he was gonna kill himself with, with a little bow on it. So yeah, he's sort of thanking him for gifting him Shit. his. He by the end of the movie, a man who was in the pit of despair. This this man who was ready to die and give up on life. 
he encounters a family who teaches him lessons about how beautiful life can be and how important family can be and gives him a reason to live. And they all come together at the end to celebrate Christmas. That's the end of Lethal Weapon. So I'm saying I'm saying Lethal Weapon falls firmly in Christmas category. But um, I, you came you came fully prepared <laughs> to like. No, this is my this is that talent that I have where I just blindly bullshit <laughs> to, to try and make my point. Um, but yeah, no, I was honestly, we were, we were just listening and I was like, I was like, ah, I get to have Michelle on the show pretty soon. So I'm going to bring this up because we did, we did two oh, of the movies well, she mentioned. I, I'm still, I, again, I'm going to revisit it just for you because I, I could be wrong, but again, my memory, the way I defined the movie was because I think, you know, you got home alone, lethal weapon, home sure. alone. And the whole theme of the movie is about Christmas. So with the home alone. Yeah. Remember. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think you know, but this Poseidon Adventure is also a Christmas movie. Kind yes, of. But, oh my god, based on these perimeters, this is a Christmas movie. Yeah. There's a tree sure. celebration. I had a bit of a Gene hard Hackman's time with this because it's at, people together. Well, it's actually New Year's Eve, right? This all takes place oh, on New Year's yeah, Eve. Yeah, you're right. So I was Fuck. like, we're in like the Christmas season, but I mean at the beginning. The, their, their first step, the first tool they pull off the utility belt to march themselves towards some sense of salvation is literally a Christmas tree. They climb a Christmas tree to safety. So I'm like, damn it, is this a Christmas movie? It's a Christmas movie now. Yeah, I, th- I think what it is is when you've watched Funny Games <laughs> as many times yeah. as we have, the normal Christmas hits just don't do it. So you grab onto anything you can. You're like, give me something with both jingle bells and a body count. That's <laughs> what I'm like. <laughs> Jingle bells and murder. <laughs> if it has at least sixteen notes of a Christmas song, right? Yeah. And, 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 and an image of a Christmas tree. It doesn't even have to be a Christmas tree right. in a house. There's Someone a... can casually mention a, a Christmas tree, and it counts. Uh, or a pine tree. If it's just a pine tree or a fir tree, something coniferous, like somewhere Someone's in the back. Driving a car and has one of those hanging like pine tree. <laughs> a pine that tree. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what this movie definitely is is about an hour and a half solid anxiety much by the way let's say this right up top this movie's rated pg i think we got ourselves another little planet of the apes here situation although those movies are all rated g which is pretty egregious this as a pg movie i know there's no real gore there's not there's no profanity there's some sort of sexually suggestive dialogue but even that like all very tame some chunks of this movie felt a little bit 70s lascivious to me if that makes sense um there is some of that like oh you'll never be able to climb in all those pants take those pants off you know like (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's a 70s thing we watched a lot of that but by the end of it it kind of feels like an r that somehow has none of the objectionable material of an r and i think mostly it has to do with the intensity of the emotion it's the tension where you where you end up emotionally. So, Michelle, what was the what's your first memory of this? When did you discover this movie? Is this a childhood favorite for you, or it is? My mom was huge into all of these. I mean, these were the movies of my childhood. These were the ones that played on TV, and so this was what you did. There was nothing else to do at night back then. You know, there was no video games. There was nothing, nothing. So the family would sit around and watch. You know. Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, Towering Inferno. <laughs> you had all the Animal Kingdom movies, you know, like right. Squirm and Tarantula. But that's where it all started. And so I just 
we watched them all the time. So, Every time they came on. So you're into like creature features too, outside of disaster movies. Oh, big time. Oh, so we got to oh get you back on for like Food of the Gods and Frogs and... Food of the Gods is my favorite. In fact, I just watched Orca the other night. Which Holy is shit. Orca's insane. <laughs> it's such a great precautionary film. But so it is really... that. Anyway, we, yes, I would love to do that. And yeah. oh, by the way, on that note, I discovered one I had never seen, which is a big deal for me. Uh-huh. I had never seen one called Grizzly. And yeah. it is as weird. Uh, it's just about like a, think of Jaws, but in the, in the forest. In the woods with a, like a bear chasing? Oh my God. Jump into the beginning of the Poseidon adventure. You see this amazing cast, but like right out the gates, we get this, we get this, this picture of this gigantic fucking cruise liner just pitching and rolling in these turbulent seas. I love that the movie starts with a storm because if you're watching Mm -hmm. the Poseidon adventure, you know that you're in for a movie about a sinking ship, right? So that when you start in the storm, even though that first storm is kind of a little like red herring spook you into like thinking like oh shit this is it this is the storm this is the storm and then when it ultimately passes you sigh this like you're like whoo and you get this big sigh of relief but only for a second because then you find out that what actually capsizes them isn't a storm at all it's an earthquake what a great carl and i were talking about magic while we were trying to dial you in but what a great misdirect right at the beginning yeah it's i totally it is and a special nod to Irwin Allen, who does in every movie I've seen of his, his movies start with these huge, epic, like establishing shots. He did that with Towering Inferno with the helicopter co- flying yes. over the tower and landing on top of it. You're yes. Like, oh, yes. We get a full <laughs> right out of the gate. We're going to show you our hand. This is the whole thing mm-hmm. we're dealing with. Here's the building. And he did that here. Like, here's the ship. Right on, right at the beginning, and right. I love it. And so there's no mystery about that part of it. Right, no. and, and one of the great things about that early, it's interesting. I I did not like this movie as much as I loved the Towering Inferno. Love the movie, obviously, huge fan of Poseidon Me Adventure. Too. But I I had a couple of issues with it, and one of my issues was with the end of the movie. I felt that there was a missed opportunity at the end. By the way, obviously, as always, major spoilers for the film. If you haven't seen The Poseidon Adventure, this is very, very much worth watching, unless you're definitely afraid of drowning and don't have a film podcast. But still watch it, because it's... (laughs) It's really good. Shelley Winters kills it. She does, though, because, and this might just be my opinion, to me, there's everybody else, and then there's Shelley Winters. Right. And even Gene Hackman is brilliant. But Shelley Winters comes out, and then she gets nominated for the Academy Award for it. Everything she says and she does, you can connect with. It's just brilliant. Everything is so real. You can see why she gets the Academy nod from this film, too. She did all the swimming stunts herself. Did she really? Every single one of them, yes. She's a champion swimmer. In real life. That's right. I've forgotten that. Yes. And she did every single... She's like... They were going to get stunt people to do her underwater stuff. She's like, no one can do it better than me. I can hold my breath longer than all of you, and I swim faster. And also, it'll look better because it'll be me in front of the camera. So her, oftentimes in movies, you know, anytime someone goes underwater, half the audience immediately goes, (gasps) 
and you hold your breath for yep. as long as they're underwater. This is one of the <laughs> this is one of the few films where I didn't make it. Yeah, that first time when uh, Gene Hackman goes under and he gets pinned by the the big heavy like which just oh yes. my god as soon as he gets pinned every second of screen time you're just like I'm still pissing my pants how much piss is in me what is this I'm still pissing my pants how much piss is in me what is this <laughs> but he's underwater for like three minutes and change I'm just sitting there like maybe I'll try to start over <gasps> I don't even make it the second time. It's oh my god, Tension City. This movie is that. It's that though. As soon as we get into like capsize, we we just go like crazy. It's an exciting movie. Yes, it's, it's got... an hour and a half of thrill when it should be it should be boring. This is riveting as fuck, dude. Um, but I I was saying at the beginning, I want before we get too far away from it. There is one thing about this movie that I thought was a missed opportunity at the very end when they rescue them. They cut through the hull and they come out. I wanted to see what the ship looked like upside down on in the water. Because at the beginning, you get those big, beautiful establishing shots of like rolling and pitching. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to see kind of like an echo of that, that grand scale establishing shot that we got at the beginning at the end to show like... Remember that that grand ship you saw at the beginning? This is what it's yeah. been reduced to. And also, how horrifying would it have been at the end of this movie to see, you know, like, okay, we know that this probably this ship probably had 1,000, 1,100 people on it. Big, big, big cruise ship. When you see a ship of that scale and you zoom way out and there's only, like, six people standing at the yeah. very end and that's mm. everybody who survived. That, I wanted that impact and I felt like the end was a little soft. But everything up until that final shot, which was... It was such a bummer for me because it was the last, like, five seconds, and I was like, yeah. stick the landing, stick the landing, and everything <laughs> is they, brilliant. But they, the thing is, though, they, they, what I, I, I like, they keep it personal. You start with this huge ship and this grand cruise and 1,100 people, and they're not there at the end to see six people, and we, we've, we have now become this unit of six, and it keeps it personal and close. Oh, I like that. I like that. Well, and I thought, for me, this, it's just, it, there's so much adrenaline all the way throughout. I don't know. I, I, would, I don't know. Would building it back up again seem a little bit, oh, we're back up here again, mm-hmm. when the audience is, all, when, at least for me, it's like, I'm done. Look, right. you're gone done. through it. Well, and because I, I think for me, leave it to the imagination. You know, you don't spoon feed the audience. Right. I think, okay. yeah, a lot can be said by not saying it or not showing it. Right. You know? That's all that's left of the ship. I'm still up in the air, but I can see at least keeping us in the macro, keeping us mm-hmm. in interwoven with these people, almost as though we were talking uh, midsummer. We've we become part of the. We become part of that group. Right. You don't now. see the whole ship because you're our you're kind of our perspective is now with them. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So we we don't get to see the 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 grand scale anymore. We don't zoom out. We stay zoomed in. A more intimate ending. I can see that totally. I'll. I mean, look, I'm gonna watch this movie again for sure. Yeah, no. It's shit, good right? to have in your head now. Um, one of the things about these disaster flicks that I lo- both love and hate is really deeply fleshing out minor characters really fast, and then ditching them, and then ditching yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> This movie is so well written. A lot of yeah. times, yeah, you, you expect 70s flicks to occasionally be a little hokey. This is really, really well written. Um, some of the strokes are a little broad, but they're very effective. Like the amount of time that Shelley Winters and her husband spend talking about their two-year-old grandson yes. who they've never seen. As soon as they say that, I'm like, ah, King's Rules. Yeah, you're never going to see him. Yeah, one, of the, one or both of these you're people are tough. You're going to- today. <laughs> <laughs> 
speaking of which, I generally, once I've seen um, a movie, because, you know, we'll watch them over and over again. That's what you do. A lot of times I will I will tend to skip through some of the character development and this the and just get to the action. Right. I never do that with this one. I am still, after this many times, interested in watching it from beginning to end. And I love all the character development. I love reintroducing myself. Everything's always interesting because, like you said, I think it's well-written. And it, every bit of these characters is, I think, very simplistically fleshed out. They're not overly complicated. And it all seems just natural, like Red Buttons, his role. Right. He has one chance and at I the table. I love red buttons in this movie. Anyway. I know. He's so sweet. I mean, you get a glimpse of him when he's doing the walk, you know, the power walking on the deck. But then fast forward to the table. That's when we see him next. And you have a few minutes to learn who he is. And then, but you learn who he is. Right. In yeah. that little you absolutely learn who he is. And in that little conversation, we also learn who Shelly Winters is. We learn more about her. And it is beautifully written. And that's my point is I find it still interesting all the way up to where the action starts. That is the sign of a great story, right? Where it's it's not just the action beats, it's everything in between. It's it's the perfect it's the perfect sandwich. Absolutely. <laughs> really yes. So yep. to to tie this movie to to some other movies that we've watched recently that this was making me think about is we recently did Stephen King's first movie, made for TV, Duel. Don't worry, listener. I've got him. It's Steven Spielberg, you fucking idiot. And I watched it straight through and I said like it was one of it, that movie's one of the most tense and effective at building tension that I've ever seen. It's such a great movie for it's like it's like Psycho where they just ratchets the whole time and by the end you're like gripping pillows and freaking out. How much pisses in me? What is this? And there's another movie that we haven't done for the show, but it's called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And it's another movie like that where it's a lot of little small hills that ratchet mm-hmm. that tension up. And by the time you're freaking losing your mind at the end, it doesn't feel like there should be this much tension because it's that slow, steady build. It's like a house of cards and every card mm-hmm. is scarier. So, yeah. But Bird didn't think either of those films were very tense or scary. She kind of came in and out during Duel. And I think that Poseidon Adventure is kind of the same. You mentioned like you don't skip through it. I think that each piece and part and element of this movie interlock and stack on each other to to build a sense of tension. And if you if you skip through any of that, then there's no you miss the right. It it can't build anymore. You miss that piece. Right. I was thinking about that the other day when we're watching. uh, Danielle and I are watching all the way through all the James Bond movies, and Uh I think the same thing is true. This movie. I mean, obviously, I thought of James Bond when watching this, 1960s, 1970s. Is if you were to skip through just to the action scenes or just to the spy and intrigue in the James Bond, any pick one in any James Bond movie, you get like oh, pretty cool action scenes and pretty cool like spy and intrigue. But Uh what you miss is James Bond as the character and how he he grows as a person through the it's a weird fucking thing that happens right so but you can do either one is cool right this is yeah this is not a uh like put on in the background while you're doing dishes kind of movie because no. you're gonna end up but watching it is it. too though <laughs> <laughs> well once you've seen once you've seen it enough yes it absolutely yeah is. you watch sure. it two or three times and then it's your but then it feels but then it feels like a comfortable jacket or a or a, a blanket 
because yes. you're familiar with it and now you're cozy. Maybe I need to watch this movie some more because you guys keep saying like it's so cozy and comforting and I'm like the oh, listen, people are like drowning this, like and there's this? like a room of screaming doomed humans and it's just horrible. And This is what I would put on when I was sick. There was this, <laughs> The Towering Inferno, because I yeah. knew them so well. I would just blanket up, a little bit of soup, some tomatoes, you I, know? I can see it. And watch this. I can see it. And Dune and uh, The Black Hole. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't thought about that one in so many years. Yeah. One of the things I was really surprised by with the Poseidon Adventure is this movie's not as long as I thought it was going to be. It's it's not. Th- it's shorter than Towering Inferno. By a lot. I think Towering by... Inferno was, what, like 210 or something like that? It, it was it's almost three hours. Almost no. three hours long. Right. Yeah. So Towering Inferno is like this. It, it really is a marathon kind of movie. But this one, I think, no, it comes in at like an hour 40 or something. Let's start digging into the cast a little bit because there's a lot Can of we? performances. There's oh, a lot of this is what I'm ready for. I'm so ready. All right, All right. Michelle, favorite performance. Holy <laughs> shit, that's almost impossible. I, I am going to have to go with Shelby Winters because I just love her. I mean, she's such an integral part. She's just the heart of this. Her, her love for her husband is so so palpable and her love for love is palpable her absolute laser focus to see her grandchild is everything in this film and every to me it's every reason why everybody wants to survive anything so she has my favorite arc in this as well like all of these characters grow and develop but Shelley Winters begins this movie by saying I'm just gonna stay she's and she says like I'll probably die give this jewelry to our grandson, I'll clearly not survive. So she starts by giving up. She's like, I'm not going to... That's the very beginning, where they haven't even climbed the tree yet. Yeah, but she starts the, the, but you guys go without me, I'll stay here, I'll never be able to climb that tree. And then the group kind of helps her up the tree. And then it's... Uh you're, you know, okay, I found us a vent. We got to go through here. How do you expect a person to fit through there? You know, and it, every step of the way, it's, I've, I gave it my best, but here's where I'm, I guess this is where I'm dying. And the group yeah. keeps helping her along until the moment that she finds. Her moment. Yeah. It's such, it's the biggest fucking moment. And, and you realize in that kind of, and this is kind of that Christmas movie thing. You, you, you see her go from a place of, Feeling bad about her. Obviously, one of the things we'll talk about with this movie is she just gets shit on for her weight pretty much all the way through this flick. It's like a running gag, and it's it. Some of it's hurtful. Some of it's some of it is oddly sweet, especially like when the kid apologizes because he's like, "I, I didn't mean that how it sounded." I thought that was pretty cool for a 1972 flick to be like, "Hey, I, we did a cheap. You know, it's a cheap laugh." But then the kid comes back and points out that it was a cheap laugh because he's like, "That I didn't mean it like that. That was my bad, Miss Shelley Winters. Yeah. I thought it was great." And on that note, Max, the other the other reference to her fat being fat was when Stella Stella Stevens' line was to, and it was so it was so brash and cruel mm. when she says, "I want to go first because that I don't want that mm. fat lady gets stuck. I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect." Right. But then also. But then all of a sudden you see it dawn on everybody. The reality is there is some real truth to that. And she sort of backs up and everybody just sort of goes in front and everybody just sort of accepts that's the truth. And that's the harsh truth. Right. And no, Stella Stevens shouldn't have said it that way. That was right. character. But that reality is, wow. It's, yeah. Not one it, person said, no, you go in front of me. Everybody right. 
every even Shelly Winter's character was like, it's the right well, thing. Well, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, this cool. is yeah. Watching the dynamic where there is a certain point where niceties start to fall away. You know, right? Like, because they have to. It's survival at that point, right? So. We don't have time. We don't have time to be like Sh- you. Po- shed all the bullshit when you have ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially in that moment, in that scene, they were they had just gone up the upside down staircase before that, so they're they're like pulling them up with the fire hose, you know. Yep. And yeah. during that scene, water from the deck below bursts up and starts flooding the deck they're on. So, like, when they're Looks going... so good, too. All of the flooding sequences in this are just, like... Because, like, most of our listeners are not old people. So, <laughs> <laughs> they, well, they might when... think the special effects from a, from a movie in 1970s might look like shit. It doesn't. Listeners, no. if you are trying to avoid older movies because you think that the effects are going to look budge, they look better than they do today because it's all practical. And that's not bullshit. Right. Like nowadays they're like, let's get some CGI water in there. We don't want our actors to get cold or uncomfortable or anything like that. <laughs> Back then, like dude and Ben Hur, like they killed like 15 people to make that movie. Horses died. We don't, we don't have a horses. Ho- I know. Right. Like there was there's a whole there's a whole breed of horse that doesn't exist anymore because of Ben Hur. So. <laughs> species of right, horse. Right, they're jump. like, oh, we just, we haven't and got that's the that's sh- why, like, English terriers look different now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the survivors of Ben-Hur that had to breed with other dog breeds to survive, yeah. and it changed terriers forever. Yeah, meanwhile, Charlton Heston's like, did that shot look good or what? How many more, right. how many more dogs crazy. will you make me kill today? <laughs> you know, I've had enough with these horses. That's probably the movie when the ASPCA decided they're going to be on set. In every movie, there's an yeah, animal. That was the one. <laughs> they're like, I think you better intervene here. Hey, yeah, the dailies look great. What's all the graves over there? What's over the hill? They're like, yeah, it's horses and stuntmen mostly. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of effects, when the when the when the ship is finally upside down and you're seeing all the after effects of it flipping over, the striking picture of all the shots of people hanging onto the tables yes. that are now upside down mm-hmm. and they're hanging onto the underneath of the tables. Like, Jesus, they had to do all that. Oh, it's brilliant. One of my favorite things in movies is an upside down room. Do, Anytime I, you use a camera to do the the effect. I love uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when we got people freaking out on the ceiling. Yes. Anything, all the scenes in Inception where hallways are rolling around. Upside down scenery. They've been doing that since Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers did the whole, like, it's not, it's not new, but it's always effective. Right. That that particular scene in Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I I was still like in seventh grade or eighth grade when that movie came out. Scared the fuck out of me. Like, oh, oh my god! Watching watching a girl get torn apart on the ceiling while everyone else is standing on the ground looking up at her. That is so scary. That plus yeah. the uh, the brilliant um, Johnny Depp getting sucked into the bed effect yeah. and then the blood pours the up blood onto the ceiling. Out. Just yes. genius. All you got to do is flip a room upside down, and I'm losing my mind. So, yeah, kids, like, movies back then look good as shit. This is kind of like upside-down set porn, really. (laughs) You get to just watch. (laughs) 
<laughs> like a full it's hour. It's miniature and upside down set porn. Yes, it's amazing. Do you think they made like a how they made these movies? Like uh, that there, would be so great there, to see. Oh, there is a documentary on the um, DVD that you have, Max. There is. Oh, making There's of? There's a making of, yeah. Oh, my God. I would be. Because uh, it was old. It's back when they used to do like newsreels for oh. feature films. And they go in, no, next summer, 20th Century <laughs> Fox presents The Poseidon Adventure starring Gene Hackman. And we're going to go inside. There's Gene now. And he's setting up for a shot of. <laughs> Whatever. So you have like a like minute and a half segments. I kind of missed that. A and little. here we have Shelly Winters, and she's preparing for her underwater. So tell us about it, Shelly. And she's like, "Well, yes, I'm a fantastic swimmer." And go fuck yourself. So... <laughs> they used to do that. Do out yep. next summer. Do it next summer. Twentieth century fight. Always tagging the producer. The production you. company, right? Yep. Well, I mean. 20th- you- Right. You remember the ad for Mad 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 World last week? It was like, oh my god, the and new bro, film. I, yeah, it's a, a real wham doodle humdinger of a film. Like that was the actual promo. Was like a five minute long talking about an ad. Right. It was yeah. It was like half ad, half documentary, half like weird news so, propaganda. So yeah, when I was hanging there, Don Knotts and me hanging from a tree, it was great featuring. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do one little thing. Okay. Oh, you're good. Didn't need to be unfocused there for a moment. No, we just no, slide. We we went into a bit. Yeah, we. And that's how we vamp. We just dive into fantasy worlds. It's you know like you just, the, like invent cigarettes and cigars and shit. We're all developing <laughs> fantasy worlds in 2020. Um, one thing I was going to say though about can I say about Leslie Nielsen? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Was that one? So he's most, my favorite. Yeah, but. He, <laughs> So you'll like this. Most people who have never seen it are under, probably likely under 30. Mm-hmm. Fair to yeah. say. Sure. Likely they have seen Airplane. And yes. once you've seen Airplane, this is completely ruined because you can't take yes. him seriously at so all. That's, so that's Ooh. my note and why he is my favorite because my first page and a half of notes are why I can't take Leslie Nielsen seriously in this movie. I have like a doctoral thesis <laughs> and it starts right away when they're in the beginning. Like there's some yes, point right and- at the beginning. He's like, yeah, it looks like an iceberg. I'm like, does it? Are we gonna call you Mr. Iceberg? Don't call me Iceberg. I don't know. Like I, I mean, right, right at the beginning, you know, a wave hits, and everybody, the whole shot is all of a sudden they start to lean. But, Everyone starts to lean to one side, yeah. and, and just the look on his face. But that whole lean—it's just so National Lampoon. Yeah, and the whole cast is just—you can tell they're just acting like they're leaning. <laughs> <laughs> and another one is when—and I. This is the one where I swear that um, it was the Reitman brothers who did Airplane, right? Uh, yes. No. Yeah, I, I've been writing sure. Ed Reitman's, yes. Yeah, so I'm sure this is where they, they had the inspiration to cast him because all this shit is going around. It's New Year's Eve. They're in the wheelhouse. It's really busy. And he just breaks out of character and goes, by the way, Happy New Year. Right. It's so <laughs> that is, I wrote down the line, actually. It's one of my favorites. It's when they get the they get a call from Crete and they're like, there's been a, an, uh, a sea quake near Crete, 7.8 on the Richter scale. And uh, they're all leaning over the instruments. 
we're intercutting between the bridge and like the ballroom where the big like special events happening and the, everyone's yeah. down there like 10 9 happy new year and then we cut back to the bridge and they're looking at the like the <laughs> radar really intently and Leslie Nielsen goes it seems to be building up in those shallows oh by the way happy new year what's its yes! velocity <laughs> and he, the the first mate goes happy new year sir blah 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 gives him his velocity and, he, and Leslie Nielsen's face goes all stoic and he goes Jesus, it must be monstrous. <laughs> I have always in my mind for years thought that was the moment Ivan Reitman said, that's who we need that's for airplane. That's who we need for airplane. <laughs> that's who we need. <laughs> By the way, happy new year. By the way, happy new year. Like floor laughing. Every time. Leslie Nielsen is a Shakespearean trained actor too. He's yeah. like legitimate, but we... We 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 humans can't see those performances because we're not privy to them. I'm so sad. We just hear about them through, like reviews and you hear and, about like, his stage stuff. Shit. Yes, but, but I, you never see it because you can't. So you, I'm. I didn't. I didn't go see the show, so I don't see. Him. So I'm. I'm 30. I'm right on that that age of of like having not seen this because I'm. I was just before my time, but. What I had seen of Leslie Nielsen was Airplane, the Smoking <laughs> Gun movies, and Dracula uh-huh. Dead and Loving It, which are all awesome flicks. Dracula Dead and Loving It's maybe not so good unless you're like high as hell, which is how I watched it, and then it's amazing. That's a Mel Brooks movie, so it's automatically yes. like awesome. Right, it's just exactly. by default going to be funny. But like when you you go from that to watching this, like when they're all leaning, I was waiting for Leslie Nielsen to like lean the other way, you know? Or, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. Like that's why I see you 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 nailed it, and that's why I thought anyone under thirty would have only seen him doing this type of performance, and so it always struck me like God for them to have to go back. I hope they don't miss the brilliance of because I think his performance, although Shelley Winters is my favorite, sure. I think his is so incredibly nuanced and he's, just it is. he's totally almost a show stealer. Yeah. Yeah. He's totally understated, and a lot of actors, I think lesser actors, would have tried to been, oh, he they would have been over the top, sure. and he's really understated. So, Carl, I see why that's your favorite. So. There's another, there's a so, bit. Max, who's your favorite? Oh, my favorite? Um, You know. Yeah, we did Michelle, then me, then you. Honestly, my, my favorite is just for, in t- it's nostalgia for a TV series that ended like two decades before I was born, but my favorite performance in here is probably Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. Oh, I knew it. Now he's a very because the curse of the golden monkey. Uh, Tales of the gold monkey, Carl. Oh, I was like, <laughs> God right. damn it! I was so close. No, he's it's so sweet. I love him. Yeah, that's one of the things I like. How how soft spoken he is. Yeah. I, in a weird way, I felt grateful to this movie that his death wasn't cruel. Because there are certain yeah. people who die bad in this movie. Yeah, and, like Shelley Winters oh. is one of them. You know, she. she <laughs> no. She goes out hard, but but Roddy McDowell falls into like this roiling bit of water, and then that's the last we see of him. So like, but but you're right, like the politeness, um, knowing how he actually sounds in real life, I love the voice and accent work that he's doing here. Like the, he's he's basically like a ship's bartender with a busted yeah. busted up leg. His leg is in bad shape. But you know, like when uh, when Gene Hackman will turn and be like, "Oh, by the way, not what I can't remember what his name is," but he'll be like, "How are you doing, Roddy? Can you make it up the ladder?" And he goes, "Oh, oh yes, sir. I'm I'm quite all right." That that sort of like adding that soft 
British touch to it. I, I thought it was a really nice touch, knowing, you know, having seen him as Bon Chance Louis in Tales of the Gold Monkey, where he's like, uh, mais oui, I must fly my plane. You know, he's got the heavy French accent. Or seeing him, you know, in, in Planet of the Apes, where it's that kind of clipped uh, American-esque thing. And to see, to see his range across all these things, and then to see him this young... And, yes. and to still have such command over that performance, you know, I I really like, and of course, I'm, I love Roddy McDowell. So when I see his face, I'm like, I'm always enamored with his performances. So I'm totally You're the biased. only 20-something human on the planet that knows who Roddy McDowell is. <laughs> and that you can name as many things that he's done, like all his work. And his name was Acres in this movie. Acres, Acres, right, right. Which is such a great, like, World War One British name. It is. And, you know, of all in, in all of the uh, ship's personnel that we are introduced to, mm. we're introduced to all the way across the board, the high level personnel, the people who are running the ship and the ship's doctor. Then all of a sudden it's the cabin boy who saves the day. You know, he's the one who comes out of nowhere and he's the one who leads these people to salvation. You right. know, the soft little guy. When it should have been Gene Hackman, the priest the one that's trying to lead his people to salvation, but ultimately fails. He has, right. a, he has a, a weird arc, too. What do you I'm got- so happy that of the three of us, our favorites were not Gene Hackman, though Isn't he does really. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, I think it speaks to the writing and how rich these characters were developed with very little dialogue. I mean... This di- this whole movie is rich in action, and um, so the dialogue is has to be really purposeful, in my right. opinion. I mean, I don't think you could have much ju- just much superfluous dialogue. Um, so everything matters. Like the scene, my favorite scene, though, I have to tell you though, is probably the scene with Ernest Borgnine and Stella Stevens in their cabin. Um, it speaks. I love that scene, Stella Stevens, who. In that time to play that kind of that that character, um, and she's just so just brash, and um, she's abroad from the streets. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure the name Barrel Chested came because of Ernest. Because Bork- of Ernest Borgnine, yeah. That yeah. dude is yoked. I so- yes, he is. Oh my god! Like there's that there's that one scene where he like peels off an outer layer and you see him in just sleeves, and then from that point on he's pretty much just in short sleeves. But looking oh at his god. character, he's got like his 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 he like stout. Yeah, like well, but but also he kind of hides how big he is because mm-hmm. he like leans yeah. forward. He's got a bit of a, he's got that kind of expressive. I'm, I mean this in a, the the politest possible way for Ernest Borgnine, but he's got that kind of like. Maybe, you know, drinks too much, kind of like puffy face. Yeah, you know? he's a little bloated. A, a little bit. He looks a little kind of rough, and he's kind of slouches. But there's that one bit where you, like, see him peel peel a layer back. Yes. And he's just, back. like, fucking Did housed, you? man. He's like, yeah, his, arm, his arms are gigantic. You know, when you're watching him climb up that ladder, you're like, uh, He's got arms like my grandfather. And I mean that, like... Like, he was a dude that just, he didn't lift weights, but he lifted, like, pieces of things yeah, his yeah, entire yeah. life. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you look at their abs, it's not, like, cut, chiseled abs. Like, these abs have 
held families, right? Right, right. <laughs> just a stout barrel from like waist yep. to neck. Yeah, yeah. This yep. is this was my first exposure to Ernest Borgnine at all. This is my first oh, really? Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, yeah. Oh my no, god! No, you saw Ernest Borgnine in a Planet of the Apes movie. Who does he play? Which one? Who does he play? Oh, is he one of the rebel leaders in like the fifth yeah. one? Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember this now. That was a shitty one, though. <laughs> I wasn't paying a lot of attention to that. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, he's my second favorite character, and I I hesitated to say Shelley Winters because, but she ultimately wins out for several reasons. But right. Ernest Borgnine was, I mean, and he won an Academy Award for Marty, which I actually yep. haven't seen yet. But there's, he's just so. The love that he has for that woman is oh, in that scene. So and, real. And what's crazy is the scene's not particularly about anything. Like, it's not like earth-shattering, Academy Award-winning dialogue. It's about real things. Right. Yes. And how he says he slips out that he arrested her six times just to keep her off the streets. Mm-hmm. And he had never told her that secret before. And it just kind of it flies out of his mouth. And she just melts like and it's just so sweet i love that scene so much so do i oh. i, I yeah. thought and that's was... early too it's... yeah all, and that's why i never skip through the top because these scenes you are can't so... but most people would like 45 minutes of like character development but <laughs> when does the first <laughs> fire underwater happen like i want to see some shit and it also i want to see some... gene hackman just yell at someone Oh, but it also has the funniest moment with the suppositories. <laughs> I know oh what to God, do with them. Get them out of here. Get them out of here. But the greatest part is that yeah, when the nurse goes, "Well, you don't, well, you don't, you don't swallow them. It, it's a suppository." But she takes her fingers and does yeah. this move. Yeah, she's, yeah, she does the like. You put them in your well. Oh, your you. She's <laughs> like moving her. And she kind of does it at Ernest Borgnine, too. She, like, turns to him, like, you, you know, you know, like, you stuff stuff up your ass, Ernest Borgnine. You know what we're talking about. Then camera pans to Ernest Borgnine, and he goes, just, he puts his, oh, hon. Like, oh, you gotta put something in your butt. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh no! Oh, hon. yeah. His face is just like he's just like, what hell have has this ship wrought <laughs> upon my? Is... <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, worst hon. worst cruise ever, full of ass yeah, medicine yeah, 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 and special they... shout out that Ernie Borgnine is also Mermaid Man. That's just fantastic. Mermaid Man? You knew that. You didn't know Ernie Borgnine was Mermaid Man from SpongeBob. I did not yeah. know that. Is he? He's the voice yeah. of Mermaid Man. Yeah. Oh my God! Yes. Mermaid Man kind of looks like him, even. Yeah. Yes, he does. And you do know Don Knotts was the voice of Barnacle Boy. I didn't know that either. See, I loved and SpongeBob as a kid, but that... and the Incredible Mr. Limpet. Now, but see, that's, that's dating me. That was before that I knew all of these names, though. You know, like I just kind of am starting to learn about Ernest Borgnine now. I didn't know about you Don Knotts. You don't like know my... about the movie The Incredible Mr. Limpet, starring I Don Knotts. I wish I, I wish I were a fish. We're fish. It's a it's a cartoon real person movie called The Incredible Mr. Limpet. In boot camp, I had I got pneumonia in oh, boot camp. And they sent me to um the base like hospital to get better. And the uh, movie they were playing in the general area was The Incredible Mr. Limpet. You're and kidding. I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> and I'm like sick in a wheelchair. Maybe not a wheelchair. I remember it that way now. 
Oh my God, listen to you. I lost my arm in numb. Okay, take it easy, Carl. I was, and when I went to the went to the hospital, they did they have a TV and a movie playing. Like like, <coughs> what are we watching? The Incredible Mr. Limpet. <coughs> Everything's gonna be okay. It's fine. <laughs> You've got to see Incredible Mr. Limpet, Max. It's it is fucking amazing. Okay, I wrote it down. I wrote so it down. Good. Speaking of, I pulled up Airplane, and it looks like, Who did we think were, were the directors on this? Oh, isn't it Ivan Reitman? It's directed by Jerry Zucker, David Zucker, and Jim Abram. That's right. I, I meant the Zucker brothers, not, the, not Reitman. Thank right. you. I knew there were brothers in there. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that's that. That's the kind of fact-checking content that you get over here on Measuring Flicks. Um, I, I think it's interesting that even though we've brought him up three times, we've never yet managed to talk about Gene Hackman. Gene we, Hackman? Yeah, you bring him up and then you're like, oh yeah, Gene Hackman's great. Remember that scene so, he has with Ernest Borgnine and then it's bang, like 20 minutes of Ernest Borgnine. Why do you I think have, that is? I think there's so much to go over here. I think there's a lot here because- there is. He well, he has the biggest arc. I mean, he just has the biggest storyline, I think. And right out of the gate, I think having a having a priest talk like that in a movie, mm-hmm. in any situation, sure. I thought was pretty scandalous for it's the time. It's very scandalous. Yes. Yeah, I was raised Catholic, and I remember that being shocking to my mother and father, and they were pretty upset about it. And but not in like we're not going to watch this kind of way. Sure. But it was right. Shocked. For any man of the cloth to be that much of a, as he put it, a renegade against the church. So I thought that was really progressive. And I appreciate it more uh, the older I get and the more radical we seem to get in our country. Right, yeah. (laughs) I appreciate that dialogue more. I find it interesting that he's also a sex symbol in this movie. It's also depicted as the guy that um, the young girl is falls in love with. And you see him. You see him in certain several situations, which my mom, I, I'm I'm having flash memories now of a childhood of it being scandalous that he was sat between two women, gorgeous women at the table, right. and then at New Year at this at, when in New Year's it's, strikes a he celebration, kisses, yes, yeah, he kisses Stella Stevens, she doesn't kiss Ernest Borgnine, so there's these repeated references of him being this sex symbol, and he's a priest, yeah. right. So, his, his character is interesting on every level to me. Well, because he, he almost denounces his priestdom at the it, in his sermon. Yeah, and it's which he's is incredible. He's clearly barely hanging on professionally. He's been yeah. sent to some new country in Africa. That's yep. he clearly says it. So he's barely hanging on professionally. You're right. He does almost just practically denounces himself and he doesn't yep. even wear a collar. He's he no, doesn't no, have he, any he, of the accoutrement. The, the effect, it's gone. The yeah. affect or whatever you call that. I forget what you call that. Yeah, yeah. The, the the I can't remember what it is either. The dog tag, <laughs> the little right. the little priest collar. But um, it, it's interesting. What thinking about him in this movie, it reminds me of uh, his character. Reminds me a little bit of Karis from The Exorcist. That sort yeah. of yeah. I have notes about that too. Having some doubts. Yeah. And and then um, one of the other things that I think is. It plays into this this Hackman character because he is kind of our our he's our through line. He's the guy. He's yeah. he's, at he's the meant to be. He is meant to be right. But clearly, it's clearly written that way for sure. Yep. So one of the things we're taught we've been talking about uh, with this movie is the dialogue in particular and how effective the dialogue is because you really only have the first 
15, 20 minutes to do like expository style dialogue because then the ship is upside down and it's hard to do backstory when you're running for your life. So one of the things that I think is so amazing about this film is when you have characters screaming at each other or arguing with each other or in the case of Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine fighting for control of this group of people who are trying to survive is you have to make the dialogue work double duty to both uh, you know, like we're arguing and we're fighting and we're trying to determine what the plot is. Are we going to go through this air vent or are we going to go down this hallway? But the way that these people argue and fight has to tell the viewer something about who they are as people because that's the only tool you have left to build character. I mean, actions right. obviously, but so it's like well, you have nothing to tether yourself to. You need yeah. to latch onto that b- bit of story or person. Right, like uh, it's it's easy for someone to be like, well, you know, I was in Nam for five years. We're really into Vietnam right. today for some reason on this episode, <laughs> but like you know, like I was in Nam for five. Years. Him telling you a Vietnam story for five minutes of exposition can tell you something about him, but also hearing someone bark like a drill sergeant or snap yep. to to a command, you can learn just as much in a second as you can from five exactly. minutes of telling a story. And this movie does that so well. The way that they fight at the very end when they're almost to the boiler rooms and they see the yep. or the engine room and they see the one group yep. of people, that big group, heading for the bow. And Oh, they meet and he tries to he can't lead his people is a huge note yes. from like the the prophet can't lead his people to where salvation where they uh-huh. should go god and that's fu- that's such a great performance beat for gene hackman too when he's yes, he goes back is. to his group and they're like where are they going and he goes he goes they're the, going well he well, the dot and the dialogue's great too they, like everyone who does good in this movie is working from a phenomenal script but i love that, that gene hackman moment where he's talking to his crew and he's like they're heading for the bow but they're wrong because the bow is underwater and he just oh and he loses it. You can see him snap because he's looking yeah. after a group of 40 people and every fiber of him is convinced that they are all going to their They're death. They're fucked. Yeah, yes, and, he's, yes. and he knows he can't stop them, but you see the futility and, and the, like, the rage that, that these people are going to die needlessly following. But he can't leave But see, that, per- that particular dialogue ties it all the way back to the beginning to what he was saying to his... His the other priest was, you've got to help yourself. It is everything he believes to his yep. core being. It's what's getting him thrown out of the church. And then he, this is everything. But he's, like, he, but he's still like, about. he's still torn on right. that whole issue when it comes to right. the action of it. Themselves. Yeah, God's yeah. not leading you anywhere. God's not here. When it, Just like he said, if, if you're freezing, burn the furniture. But yeah. get off your knees and do something. Do something. Right. It's yeah. That speech, that his sermon is incredible. Like the the yeah. the early like table talk with the other priest is amazing, but when he starts actually preaching, he uh-huh. he walks like a razor's edge between like blasphemy and really compelling sermon you can see people in that audience including fucking um ben stiller's 70s porno dad did you see that one dude in like the third row like everyone looks pretty normal but then there's one guy in the third row who's got like down to the jaw 
fucking like bushy sideburns. Bushy. The, like, Talladega Nights, like, pseudo-mullet hair, and he's wearing, like, porno yep. jacket. He looks like he just, he's, like, on his way. He's like, ah, I'm getting on this ship to go and shoot a stag film in England. You know, like, like, <laughs> and he and he looks almost exactly like Ben Stiller. If you've ever seen the Starsky and Hutch remake. You're right. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, that show is so great, though. That is a show ahead of its time. The original Starsky, Starsky and Hutch. Hutch. Yeah, I it's totally agree. fucking insane. Yeah. Side note, that looks like the brother, the brother, the brother and sister duo, the musician, the singer and the musician, the piano I'm player, the brother. Mm-hmm. Those fucking button shops, the three the the three tier mullet. That shit was serious. <laughs> it's like a feathered, it's almost like a feathered mullet like heading into <laughs> It was like things, then the mullet, then the back part. I mean, it was just, there's three things. There's three stages of the haircut. Right. It's pretty. They don't, it's not the smooth blend from business to party. They're like, this is the business block. (laughs) And then we put up some sort of like. There's a luncheon in between. (laughs) A small luncheon. And then we just rock out in the back all the way, all day long. Um, but I, let's, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit and we'll come back to performance as we get deeper into the film, but I want to talk about spectacle. And for me, I think this movie starts as far as spectacle goes with the rollover in the, um, in the banquet hall. Holy shit. I have very rarely seen, this is a great stunt person flick. There's a lot of amazing water stunts that happen in that. When when that boat starts tipping, this is really good crowd work too because it's hard to get extras to all react to something that's not really happening simultaneously. Look at the bunny. Yeah. Right, it's like, yeah. you know, like, and this bunny rabbit is a monster, you know, but... Oh, let me get my... <laughs> and, you, and you know it's <laughs> just one... Whole, like, waving a tennis ball on the end of a stick. <laughs> or in Cool World, where they didn't give the actors anything to look at and then just did their best. I feel like most of Cool World was just, like, uh, actors standing on a totally empty stage, <laughs> acting their ass off while someone, like, boringly read their response <laughs> off screen, and then the <laughs> animators came in. But on this one, on this one, I really, you really feel like, and I don't know, I haven't watched the documentary, but I, I can't imagine that they made, would you, what's the word, did you call it a gimbal, like the spinning room? A gimbal. I can't it's imagine that they would build, that they built one that big, but the way this no, is. No, they built gimbals like huge. Like. They had to. I mean, the, some yeah. of those shots, they were clearly being, I mean, there's no way they could have been, I mean, they were clearly being toppled over. Right. So. It's just I a, mean, I just it's it a it's huge. It was, it was the biggest. It's, it was the largest gimbal ever ever um, uh, uh, constructed for the film, uh, like this one was for, the, for this film. My and, God, and, man! Yeah, <laughs> the hunt the hunt for Red October gimbal was the only one to ever match its like size. Right? Wow! Oh my! See, I I thought that this was like creative cutting or like really great no. editing or something, but when when the people are falling past oh. camera, like falling, that is all. Right. It's all the camera moves one way while the person's moving the other way to sure. make them appear like they're falling. Right. But, but uh-huh. the rest of that was all. There's there's definitely stuff where people like, oh my god, the shots of them like sliding, sliding, sliding on the floor, but yes. the floor is getting steeper, and then there's a certain point where they're not sliding anymore. There's falling. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. God damn it. This well, like the action sequences, the spectacle sequences, they are so fucking well my shot. My most, my most written note, and I wrote these notes a long time ago, uh-huh. is uh-huh. they used to make movies. <laughs> no shit. My favorite shot in that whole scene, though, well, maybe, it, well, the one that always stands out 
is when the person falls into that giant light fixture that's presumably yep. oh. in the ceiling. I mean, I remember being really little and never knowing what that was until I was adult, and I realized that's just a giant light fixture. And that oh they fell God. into and got Frog impaled me. and electrocuted. R.I.P. Stuntman. Yeah, that was kind of a bummer how they killed that person. <laughs> no. Listen. Well, you know, Charlton Heston didn't eat effects. horses for nothing. I think it's Planet of the Apes 5. Do you remember the scene when they finally, like, the, the apes finally break into the human uh, compound? And they the throw, compound, yes. And they throw that one dude off the top layer onto, like, the electric glass top map table. And then he gets, like, well, he, 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 he smashes into it. <laughs> And then it explodes. They blow it up with fire. Yeah. Why did it blow up? And we were talking. I remember when we were talking when we did that episode. Like that, it's all a one take because it's that's how they used to do stunts. Yep. The stuntman flies over the railing, smashes through the tabletop. They don't cut, and then like ten feet it of explosive going. fire just blow out around him. They basically put oh. the dude in a bathtub and then blow the bathtub <laughs> up with him in it. In oh the fucking God. movie, and you're like, we were watching it, and I like rewound it ten times. It's amazing stunt, but you're like, I I think that guy's either dead or he crippled. Or, dead. Holy <laughs> shit! They're like, all right, Jimmy, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna throw you into a, like a glass top bathtub full of gasoline, and well, then explode it. While I'm in it, that seems like a bad time for me. I'll give you an extra five bucks and a six or a beer. Sold! Yes, and then they do the stunt. Right. So, yeah, we already we joked about the Christmas tree at the beginning, but I thought oh. that, that that Christmas tree climb. Well, several people go up. Uh, inside of it. I love when yeah. they do that. Right, so right. I need a monkey is one of my favorite lines in this movie because this is still this is before Gene Hackman has fully he's he's not fully gone off the rails he's not fire and brimstone and he's not fully Gene Hackman yet in his career to be yeah that's true this is pretty early for him right like Superman comes out shortly after this with him as Lex Luthor Lex makes him French Connections before this though and French Connections. A pretty damn good movie. It's a great movie, but a great movie does not an actor make. True. That person going on and like having now you see them in Superman. Oh, he now he's Lex Luthor. Right. You, then, yeah, yeah. You're right. You do kind of need that perfect storm kind of movie. Wait, hot perfect storm. <laughs> Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> drowning. <laughs> drowning would be terrible. Drowning would be bad. Drowning would be a bad way to go. <laughs> Um, so I was trying early on. This was one of those movies where I started by taking copious notes, and then you just end up watching the film, and it becomes impossible. Because you, you can't not, right? I know. You can't take I your eyes the off the screen. Thing. I had, like, taught notes at the beginning. Oh, yes, and then I have a note about Leslie Nielsen, and I can't take him seriously because <laughs> of Naked Gun. And then I have, oh, underpants. That's fine. <laughs> at the top of the Christmas tree. You know, it's like the stars. Alan Rickman. They're, they're... (laughs) No, my... Our Christmas tree has had Alan Rickman on the top of it for the last three years. I'm not even kidding. All right, so... Um, That's funny. (laughs) Alan Rickman, his face, like, if the cheap Um, cardboard... Cut out of, yeah. Cut, but, like, Alan Rickman, like... Oh, trick or treat! Alan Rickman's face is our angel on our Christmas tree. Maybe, I love that. and it has been for the last three years. We should do that for the the FZK proper, but make it the moment 
of like shocked surprise like, when he's falling. When he's going Nakatomi, like, yeah. We need Nakatomi <laughs> falling Alan Rickman, though. Or like the kind of doofy with the mouth wide open. I find striking about the tree is right. that it's what saves the, it's what saves one group, and then it turns around and kills a bunch of people later when it falls on them. Yes, I mean, you know, so it's this this the symbol of hope for for one group has be, became the the symbol of death for another. Carl's still laughing. He he might not stop laughing, actually. (laughs) It's fine. After the our core, what is it, eight people who initially get out? It's Gene Hackman, (laughs) Shelley Winters, the husband, Ernest Borgnine, his wife, the two kids. Then um then you've got the singer. Roddy McDowell, the singer. Yep, then you've got uh Red Button's character. yes, and he's this right, yeah, this and the singer's brother was dead. That that scene with the singer cradling her brother's dead body. Holy shit. Shit. I mean, obviously, the whole that whole moment's very hectic, but it feels kind of like, well, we're all alive. Oh, and there's dead bodies strewn everywhere. And we actually oh. talked about this uh, with Halloween Two, Carl. You often yep. see the moment of murder, or you or you'll see like the high point, and then we'll cut to something else. But movies, right? Ver- something obsequious or not connected to that moment. R- right. Yeah. But most movies don't show you grief because grief is no. actually much harder. To, that was Halloween to look Two. At. Yeah. 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 For whatever reason, it's easy to watch people die, but it's not easy to watch people mourn the dead. Deal with that, yeah. Right, and this yeah. this was a great example of that because how quiet that scene is and how, frankly, those lines are delivered. Like, your brother is yes. dead. We need to go now. And actually, there's a scene later when Shelley Winters dies and Gene Hackman is trying to, like, get her husband to come with him. And the guy goes, I'm going to just stay here with her a little while longer. And Gene Hackman yeah. looks at him and there's... There's something really – look, Gene, Gene Hackman's great in this. We keep glossing him, and we did it again a, a little bit I a know, while right? ago. Sure did. But – and he really is good. And sure the, did. But it's more in small <laughs> moments. You know, sometimes you watch a movie, and, like, the main character is pretty boring, but everyone around them is fully fleshed oh, out and fascinating. Yeah. Yes. This is one of those cases, I think, where – not to be punny, but sometimes Gene Hackman's character in this can get a little preachy. Hackneyed? Yes. I, see, I didn't think he was. I didn't think he was hacky. I, I no, thought he was. So when when I see Gene Hackman, I think how how do you do a hackneyed performance? Watch Gene Hackman. Oh, <laughs> just eviscerating <laughs> Gene Hackman! My God, brutality. No, no, watch Crimson Tide. Maybe I'm. Maybe I don't know the word hackneyed like I thought I did, but I thought hackneyed meant like poorly put together or stere- yeah. like overly stereotyped. Yeah. So you yeah. are insulting Gene Hackman on purpose. Oh, yep, absolutely. <laughs> what a 360. 1,000%. <laughs> How did we get here? I don't no, know. I, I, I <laughs> Gene Hackman is intense right out of the gate, and he always maintains that level of intensity. Yeah. So right. um, Through his entire career. Yeah. I, I think in this movie, there's every performance is that for Gene Hackman. The only the only performance of Gene Hackman. I'm I'm not like some huge Hackman fan, but the only the only (laughs) performance I can think of Gene Hackman where he feels like he's doing where he's just Hackman is Superman. Gene Hackman. Well, he that's him at home. Gene Hackman slippers on. The business cash, Gene Hackman. Business cash. He's like, oh, 
can can I take guests today? No. Tell them to go. <laughs> the rest of his career is Gene Hackman. <laughs> I feel so I like him in this movie. I don't think his performance is hackneyed. But in in one sense I do kind of kind of agree with your assessment of of that performative style in this flick. In the end when he's I honestly I love the scene when he when the steam is pouring out and he sees the valve and he's looking yeah. at it and he's looking around and he's you can see him like running like okay maybe I he's running options can I do this no that's not available to me shit the water is below and it's fucking rising and if we get through this god damn it and he realizes that a sacrifice needs to be made and he jumps out into open space and grabs that that yeah. wheel steaming hot that, wheel and that fucking that painstakingly slow turn because he can only turn it like five or six inches per like hand movement and he's hanging over space watching it your shoulders get exhausted and he's screaming at god the whole fucking time it talk Mm -hmm. about a climax for a film talk about a pinnacle moment this preacher character who the whole time has never asked god for he's like i refuse to ask god for anything i'm not going to ask god for that we're going to help ourselves we're not going to pray we're going to be we're going to act and that works for them right up until this point and then they're like gene hackman's like he i think he literally says like how much more are you going to ask of us he's like how many more people need to die and he's screaming at god while he's acting even yeah even here, he's not praying for forgiveness or praying for help or praying for salvation. He's basically saying, fuck you. You're not killing any more of my people. If you're going to kill anyone, kill me and we can fight this shit out in heaven. Fuck you. It's, it's so, such a great assessment. It's a turn, yeah. It's outstanding. It's outstanding. And I love that when the steam finally ends, he has that one moment where he's like looking at the people who he's been trying to save this whole time. And you realize that as a character, he has nowhere else to go. His arc has completed. This is as far as this character can develop or will develop. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's really strong of this movie to go, this is the end of the line, and have Hackman's character sort of just d- die. He, he lets go. He's, he doesn't, let me try and swing and let me go. He realizes this was it. This was the last bit that I had to give. I've given everything, and I'm pretty sure it's it's in. I mean, I love it because it's in their hands now, which has been his preaching message the whole time. He's like, I'm a, yeah. I'm just a preacher. I can't help you. I'm not God, and I can't talk to God. You have to take care of you. And he falls into flaming water. Do and- you know why I love this podcast? Why is that? Because I can listen to you. <laughs> It's so fucking amazing. You're taking us down this incredible pathway. Thanks, man. Say again. Thank you for saying that. That's super sweet. I mean, you can't say shit like that during an episode because I haven't seen you in like five months and I'm all emotional. I know. I want to hug you. That's all. (laughs) You guys need to hug. I know. I mean, we can't hug. Thanks for reminding us. But now. (laughs) (laughs) Once it's all good. I mean, all right. um, We're going to just, you guys all want to just get together. We're going to just, well, every hug combination we can figure out. Oh, my God. It's going to get awkward. It's going to get awkward. I just realized for something just popped in my head about Gene Hackman's character in that why we always talking about all the other characters is that Gene Hackman never seems like he needs to be 
saved or helped or all these other people seem very vulnerable and that's an appealing quality in a character uh, we can associate or we can, we can empathize, empathize with with people who are vulnerable gene hackman not once ever seems vulnerable in this movie not even at death's door does he show any vulnerability i don't see it i see him just absolutely still like you said and you you said it perfectly he, he had this complicated relationship with his maker or who he felt was his maker uh, and his God. But he loved that God. For some reason, he was totally loyal to that God. Right. Um, still believed in that. But it was a complicated relationship. But I never saw him be vulnerable. Right. So maybe that's why we are so taken with all these other mm. characters is that they're sweet and. That's but, that is super perceptive. I think you're dead on. Wow. I think you're completely wow. right there because he wow. Gene Hackman doesn't require our attention throughout exactly. the film. He's he doesn't because he's always fine. He's always he, good. He is, he's good. He's well, he's good. he's got his little moments, and there's a good one when he goes looking for the engine room, and the girl follows him, and he can't find the fucking engine room, and he's like, <laughs> she's like, we're we're, we're going to be okay, right? And but he, no, you're not there. Yeah. But he like he hugs her close so that she can't see the fear in his face because they're trapped like rats and the ship is going down. And he's like, I can't find this fucking engine room. So there, there's like moments. And also, you know, while they're heading for the bow, but they're wrong because the bow is underwater. There's there are moments where that mask of like, all right, we're going to go. We, we have to do for ourselves and follow me. And now you listen to me, man. We're going in that tunnel. There's moments where that mask slips a little, and he's got to get it back in place as quick as he can. It's it's a cool, nuanced performance. But you're right; it's it's more steady than the other ones are. He he seems to have his shit together a little bit, so we we pay more attention to those those shorter or or more uh, more extreme arcs. But yeah, right. but yeah. You, that, those moments though, like for me, that look that look to the that I, I always take took that that was for the audience not so much as a, a revelation about him being well this not to contradict even I, or maybe it's a question was that just for the audience to show them that they, that there is something i mean to take this character who is so sure about themselves it's a great trick to show this steady character who's never vulnerable it's a great trick to show them as vulnerable mm. um so the audience gets a sense of panic or, you know, fear or whatever the filmmaker wants to get from the audience. I don't know if I took it as that, this vulnerable moment in Gene Hackman as much as, and I don't think it's a flaw in movie making, as, as so much as that that was for my benefit. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, like, line. okay. Yeah, like, like, oh gosh, there's still, there's still more, this isn't over, and right. I, I don't Maybe I'm just babbling here. Well, no, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Like using using those moments of of air quotes vulnerability yeah. in Gene Hackman's character just to signal um, moments of tension in the plot and stuff. Yeah, My, yeah, yeah, exactly. I see what you're saying. I I disagree just a little, just because we have such a so many other people in the back cast who can fill that function. Mm -hmm. The way that I see Gene Hackman's character is he's sort of like like a statue or like or like a like a, mm -hmm. a man of stone or steel and yeah. a few times throughout this movie this whole movie is just hammer blows on his resolve yeah here's a flooding yeah. corridor here's a tight space here's mm -hmm. a, a a room that here's you can't a group find of people going the opposite way of you yes moments moments where doubt could set in moments where the wrong decision will mean death. These are all like hammer blows. And I feel like there's a couple of those hammer blows throughout this movie 
that show us a crack where we get a crack or well i'm not even sure it's right or wrong i think it's probably perception but um no like your perception of it i like it well what what reinforces that read for me is that final moment when he's hanging from the wheel and he's screaming at god and there's all that rage but I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I, this is like 2020 quarantine gyms are closed talk, but like, um, (laughs) you know, like, you know, I love you back a couple times a week, you know, you've got to kind of try and stay in shape a little bit. So, you know, I'll do my, I'll do my monthly set of pushups, you know, things like that. There is a thing that has happened to me a couple times this year where I'll like go like three weeks without working out. I promise it's not a tangent. I mean, it is a little, but not too bad. That's um, measuring flex, bro. For sure. We're like 20 <laughs> rabbit holes deep into this field right now. Um, but, you know, you'll do, you've got your like heavy metal music blaring and you're doing your push-ups and you feel like you can't do it and you've still got a dozen sets to go and you're dying and you're, oh, now I'm doing planks. And when you finish that last set of push-ups, you finish that last rep and it is literally the last amount of, of energy that you have in your body and you collapse on the floor, right? Or I should say me because this is probably only me. <laughs> And I collapse on the floor, and I've got metal music in my ears, and my blood is pounding in my head, and I'm all shaky from testosterone. And I get this moment, having for the last 20 minutes believed that I could not do this thing. It was impossible. And the moment you do that thing, I will get emotional at the end of workouts where, like, tears will well up in my eyes, and I feel that swelling of, like, raw emotion, completely raw. Like, my, I don't even know how to handle it. Something is churned up. And it's making me cry and I want to scream a little, but I also want to just lay here. That, I think, is – maybe this is me reading into this performance, but when Gene Hackman is hanging from that from that wheel and he lets go and falls into the flames, I feel like that moment of quiet between, then take me, you bastard, take me. And then there's that moment of quiet and I feel like right behind that stillness is that churning, that turmoil. I think he is – Mike, I think he's moments or a, a gentle breeze away from breaking down and weeping because he's just had this raw connection yeah. to his mm-hmm. God, to his his complex relationship with his God has burst finally to the surface. And I feel like what what happens at the end of a really loud fight, usually the tears, but those are not for us to see. That's a private. That happens in his final Bro. moments under the Bro. water. To bring it back to Gene Hackman's competence, remember when they get to the fire door and they're like, oh shit, it's it's still hot. Because remember he goes to open it and it's like burning his hand and they're like, the theory is that the fire's been snuffed out. But talk about tension. When he goes through there or finds that air vent on the other side and comes back out, he has this great line. He says, there's a lot of dead bodies in there. It's not a pretty sight. And that's it. And then he turns around and goes in. It's kind of like yeah. what you were talking about earlier, Michelle, with the, the scene shortly after this. I think it's Linda says, I got to go before her just in case the fat ass gets stuck or whatever it is. I'm going to tell you the truth and then we're going to act because we don't have time to like you hurt my feelings. And actually, Ernest Borgnine becomes a little irritating intentionally so he's written this way because he keeps being like hey you're offending me hey you're making me mad i want to fight with you and gene hackman keeps being like we can't fight we don't have time water is coming behind us let's talk about this later you know he doesn't give him a chance he's like you guys are gonna see some fucked shit but this is our way through so follow me and they do and this is exactly needed yes right and and this is another moment where shelly winters kind of has 
has the scene because as they come in, everyone kind of doesn't look at the bodies. They all look around. But Shelly Winters looks at the bodies and almost faints. They, on the surface, reinforce her her frailty or her like, oh, I, I'll never get up. I'll never get up those stairs. I'll never fit in that tunnel. And yet she always does. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those. I love that. I, I love the way that she continually questions herself and yet is shown to have the strength to do the things she thinks she can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it shows, and one character we haven't talked about, although I absolutely love, but the, I don't hate any of the characters at all. Yeah. Her husband, Manny, yeah. is driving force who would stay behind with her any second. I mean, if given the choice, if she was going to stay, stay back, he would stay. Right. But he constantly there at her side and jack robertson we're not talking mm. enough about this actor at all i mean chico in the man haven't haven't mentioned yet Char- uh, yes. charlie in the chocolate factory but he is really one of the great character actors of uh, from hollywood i mean he's his career spanned decades and he was just in everything for so many years he has such um, a distinct voice mm-hmm. like that's that's how i initially realized that it was the grandpa from charlie and the chocolate factory which i'm pretty sure is the only other of his films that i've seen but that that mine too yeah you know, oh come on Nethel, we gotta go you can you can hear him like admonishing charlie so i've built a fan a fan theory that after this point he he makes it to israel <laughs> And they take that grandson back to England, but they fall on hard times. He remarries, and then their big extended family all lives together. And then one. So, I, so Max, <laughs> I started. I started calling them the Bloody Buckets. <laughs> because there's like family exterminating yep. tragedy in the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, and because Bloody Mama. Right. Right. Yeah. Shelley Winters. Bloody by- Bucket. Bloody bucket. Michelle, have you seen Bloody Mama? It's a Roger Corman flick from the 60s. It's got a young Robert De Niro in it, and it stars Shelley oh, Winters. I haven't. We did it for season one, and it almost won flick of the year. It was pretty. Oh, really? It's pretty yeah. damn good, yeah. Well, it's on my <laughs> list now, Bloody Mama. And another one you mentioned was Let's Scare Jessica to Death. I know I've seen it. But I cannot remember a thing about it. Oh my god! So that was on my list as well. Let's scare Jessica to death. It was like 1974. It might even be young, like earlier than that. It is. Huh. It is like this. If you turn the volume down just a little bit for a little longer, it, it ratchets up by the end. But. It's one of those movies that it's very psychedelic, very dreamlike. There's that famous story that the first the first time that they ever showed footage um to a to an audience, it was a train. It's that famous film of the train driving right towards the camera. And okay. and the famous yeah. story is the first time they ever showed that footage to um to like an audience, the audience had no context for what a what a moving picture was. So they all right. scattered out of their chairs and tried to get out of the way of the train. So uh-huh. in Let's Scare Jessica to Death, there's a lot of there are scenes in there and like tense tense moments and camera trickery that make you feel like something imminently bad is about to happen to you or another character but then it like kind of will like not resolve itself or resolve itself in a benign way so that you're constantly on edge and constantly paranoid all the way through and all the scares are very like hallucinatory it feels like you're in someone's stress dream the whole time in the best uh, possible way it's very good it's a psychological horror at its at early finest for sure i love that yeah, movie 
remember seeing it here. I mean, obviously, but I cannot, I can't remember a thing about it, but I know I've seen it. So I'm going to look forward to seeing it again. I'm glad you guys brought it up. Speaking of moments of almost unbearable <laughs> tension, when, when, uh, what's his name? Rusty Pockets? Rusty Buckets? No, Red... Rus- uh, Bloody Buckets. No, no, the actor, Red. Red, Red Buttons. Red, Red buttons. buttons, thank you. Rusty Buckets, Jesus. Oh. The blood buckets and red buttons. No, so when red buttons is the last one into the air shaft, right? He he goes in behind the singer. Okay, bro, why do you not close the hatch behind you? Right, like well, we we dog X Y and Z doors. Sorry. Well, I mean, I guess that's an Navy thing. I guess no. he did, yeah, it did, it did like close from the outside, but still I'm like prop it against there, like do anything you can other than like leave it open. Cause as soon as the water gets no, in, no, you don't leave it open. You have to close it. Yeah. You close that sucker. Close the hatch, rusty bucket. What are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> Bro. But I love of all the characters. I think Mr. Martin, little old red button is the most, like, just the sweetest, weakest, little, most meek little mouse of all the characters. And I love that he survived because this is a guy who has survived or maybe has just sort of gotten by his whole life. Like, he, he, he says... He's like a good person. Yeah. I've been a my whole life. I've never been married. And there's this eternal hope that he's going to go out and find happiness and Find true love at last. But he's so old. And so you're like, yes, old like me. He's like 40. (laughs) No, guy, Red Buttons was old by then for sure. I mean, probably, I don't know, at least Brian's age. (laughs) 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 He's only like 90. It's fine. Red Buttons (laughs) is kind of, his character is kind of like a weird counterpoint to the Gene Hackman character. Because... He only really has a, if you want to call it a flock, he's only got a flock of one. It's the singer. It's this girl that he's saved. But all uh-huh. the way through the movie, he, he in the same way, is like, there's a lot of dead bodies in there, so, you know, it's not a pretty sight. Let's go. Red Buttons mm-hmm. is like, your brother's dead. We need to leave now. Please come with me. You know, like. You oh. never. And he, does, he doesn't flinch. He never flinches. Right. Like, he's the first to run up when he sees a dead body. He doesn't flinch. He takes off his coat. Covers is covers the person up. Such I a mean, sad moment. It was, but it was striking to me. Like I was watching it today, and it struck me. I'm like, my God! Out of all the dead bodies, and you know, he's an observant person because he just is. Uh, that's he struck. He, yeah. it, and it was it was likely the first body he saw or the closest to. But it struck me that's the only can he only can do that once. He's only got one coat, right? And he can't give it he can't give it away again. He can't take it off and give it. It's one person and how special of a mm. moment that really is. Absolutely. Because he's giving so much of himself, the one thing he has, and he can't give it to anybody else. And mm. covering but, one but, face in 400, you know, like that's, yeah. there's something profound just, about him. It really was because it struck me like, wow, he's not going to save the few, the, I mean, like the shockingly few things he has. Is he going to get cold or is he going to need that material to tie a rope or is he going to need that? And he gives one of the last things he has when really what does it what does it matter in this sea of dead bodies? Right. But yet he saw humanity in it. Yeah. And it shows 
it really he it really brings the humanity into that whole the whole story. Um, I love that. And I love that moment. And I love that it was put in there because he still made the choice to offer this up and cover it up when really. That's a great way to say it. Offer this up it, it, at the at the expense of possibly a tool or or a rope or a binding for a wound or warmth or just some clothing in exchange yeah. for all that. He gives a dead person dignity in a tragedy. Yes. That's no dialogue at all, but that tells you everything you need to know about that character. That's amazing. Exactly. And I've, uh, the word on stalwart always comes to mind when I see that character. He's just this stalwart guy. Yeah. You, you never see him break. You never see him. Um, you just never see him break. And I love that about him because he's so giving of himself and he never expects anyone else to console him. Even when he's talking about how lonely he is or right. the life that he never had, you know, right. he never expects anyone to take care of him. And I love that character. Uh, and he. Maybe that's my favorite. I'm yeah, I actually, as you know, it's weird. As we're talking about him, I'm thinking uh, like the next scene that immediately pops to mind is even in that central shaft where the water's pouring up in and they're and they're climbing mm. up the ladder and Nadia freezes and yeah. Ernest Borgnine's behind him just barrel chested, you know, brick shit house <laughs> of a man being like, if you don't fucking move, I'm going to rip your legs yeah. off. But he takes <laughs> the time to climb up behind Nadia and he's like, all right, now just you're going to raise one hand. Now you're going to raise one leg. That scene is probably only like, what, 30 seconds, 35 seconds of her being frozen, maybe yeah, a minute. Maybe. But it feels right. like an infinity because this is a high stakes moment. And even under all this pressure, he takes the time to like coax this one more human life a little further toward the mm -hmm. light. You know, like, wow. What, it's interesting because Gene Hackman leads the group and, yeah. and Red Buttons sort of he brings up the rear and it's almost the same man from two different directions <laughs> you know encompassing this flock it's great it's God amazing damn it yes, yes. because yeah. it requires i mean they are the, the they're the two they're two sides of the same coin yeah because they're being, rosencrantz and gildenstern <laughs> yes being completely understated this character who is seemingly really weak is as strong as Gene Hackman's character without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and he's because he has done he has done more to save the few people that did survive than Gene Hackman did and one might argue more because more. in every practical more. sense. Yes. Yeah, he saved he people. Saved he people. Stop, bring them up, you're going to convince them to come. And also, when people remember when people started climbing up the tree, he's the one who said, "I'll go to try and I'll go. to go. Right. I'll stay. I'll go last, and I'll convince everybody." So this little meat guy turns out to be this Hercules of a dude. Oh, I mean, hell yeah, dude! I'm it's just, called. I'm getting emotional talking make. about red buttons. <laughs> no, I love him so much. That's great filmmaking, though. That's great filmmaking. It is. Yes. Used to make movies this is why i hate poseidon so much is that for every reason why i don't fast forward through all the exposition and setup is for every reason why i do in poseidon i just skip oh, all through sorry, the beginning. I, was, I was so i was so kidding I, was like, I hate that fucking movie i hate that fucking movie oh, just kidding. I, I don't believe 
it's great for like blowing shit up and you know and, and, what's and those who like kurt russell you're like oh kurt russell right it ain't no it ain't no tombstone honey right. <laughs> <laughs> which honestly like tombstone probably are you too big tombstone Okay, so I have two I have two quick notes before we get to the end of this movie because I accidentally jumped over them. One, when that young boy goes into the bathroom, they're all like looking for supplies or granola bars or whatever. When that boy goes into the bathroom, that kicked me out of the movie because one, I love upside down sets, but all the toilets are upside down. So that kid is standing in butts right now. <laughs> yes. That dude is yep, that sure dude is, is. butts to mid shin. Just... There's no way he's not standing. Never in even thought about it. That's funny. Kid, <laughs> you not? No pun intended. Never even. It just never crossed my mind. And I'm so excited. I have something else new to look at the next time I see it. Yeah, next time it rolls in, just just remember what was that? Those are toilets, and now they're above his head. I'm gonna look everywhere for a turd floating by. Now that you brought it up, I know. That's like so fingers funny. crossed. Like one one special effects guy's like, "All right, are we rolling? Float the log, Jim. Float the log, Danny. <laughs> Just float the baby Ruth. Float the baby Ruth. It's Danny. <laughs> float the oh, baby Ruth. God. I'm looking. He went. He went home to his <laughs> wife that night. He's like, I did it, honey. I, I did it. I and she was. She doesn't even know. She like he did what? Nothing. Don't worry Ted, about it. Ted. That's rare. <laughs> Theodore <laughs> Johnson added his one little piece to Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> he laughed himself to sleep that night. <laughs> <laughs> Still left. He finally realized his dream because we three are realizing that joke and laughing so loud now. No, that guy's dead. This movie was made so, in 72. He's long gone. <laughs> that's sad. Or are very, very old. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But if we lost Roddy McDowell and Ernest <laughs> Borgnine already, that guy's toast. Um, okay, I. Where, where do you find the climax of this movie? Because there's two scenes that are very, very intense. They come pretty close to each other within like 20 minutes. I almost feel like this movie misses its true climax. Look, Gene Hackman's speech uh, it brings flangs. us... It, it flangs off center. It's because the underwater corridor swimming scene is so... So good. Unbelievably in- intense and yeah. nerve-wracking. And you're just, I'm not even shitting you, cold sweat watching that. It's yeah. so unnerving. People, like, underwater and when Gene Hackman, that scene where Gene Hackman gets trapped under the shit for, like, minutes. And then they cut back and they're like, oh, well, he's been gone for, well, let's give him another couple. I'm sure he'll tug on the thing. And you're like, I'm still pissing my pants. But it's that thing, you know, it's the it's Ty West's House of the Devil. She keeps trying to call her friend, but we the viewer know that her friend got her head blown off thirty minutes ago. So you're like, stop Just calling a her random get... house of the devil reference. Yeah, you middle. chuck them in where you can. But but no. I can answer it this way. It reminds me of a lot of movies, and a lot of times they do this in horror films, like, say, Friday the 13th, perfect example. Mm-hmm, so the mm-hmm. is, is long past, you think the movie's over, but at the end of Friday the 13th, the goddammit, that Jason thing pops out of the water <laughs> and grabs her and pulls her under. Yes! That's what reminds me of 
the wheel thing. Like we know they're going to be safe. The climax has happened, but the, the the filmmakers throw us one more monkey wrench just to make yep. us, just to give us one last jolt of heartbeats. And but we know that this is it. Right. So I say the climax is still the scene you're talking about because it's long. It's to be honest. So is I mean the the uh, the scene with Gene Hackman is no slouch. But I think but the the, for me the climax is definitely it involves everyone in the film. Yeah, and even even within that scene, we've got arcs, we've got peaks. Like Shelley Winters' heart attack is a peak. Oh oh my god! Out of nowhere after. Exactly. You don't see it coming. She survives and she thrives and she continues to to break out of her own self and her own self-doubt and only to get taken down by probably what has been referenced more than anything in this movie, her weight. I mean, chances her being overweight in her age is what killed her and it has been referenced nonstop and what everybody thought was going to kill them has killed her. Right. And that. Right, they they talk about that being a liability for them the whole time. Like, I don't want to get stuck behind her. Oh, she's slowing us down. And she's the one that saves them, but then... Yeah. But it costs her, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate that so much. So here's a question. They used to make movies. (laughs) They used to. Of all the people you wanted to survive the most. Yeah, yeah, Shelly Winters for sure. Shelly Winters. Especially... Especially in that moment where she's she's finding herself, she's finding her strength. She's yes, cut down in her moment of triumph. Like it's that that is such a brutal. It's effective. I'm glad they did it. I'm glad she. I I hate to say this, but I'm glad she didn't make it to the end because I feel like losing her there in that way. Powerful. Yeah, it it meant so much to the rest of the group and to to us to have it go that way, and Um, the viewer. Yeah. Yeah, it's just good storytelling. It's good for sure. I I love that her husband, um, Charlie Buckets, <laughs> um, Charlie Grandpa. Listen, Bloody Buckets has an idea for a movie. It's gonna come out next year. It's a man who has a suit made of metal, and he can fly and shoot rockets out of his fucking wrists. It's gonna be amazing. What's like some I kind wish. of Iron Man? That's a stupid idea. That'll never make yeah, any money no, at all. No, no, not iron necessarily. Man, <laughs> aluminium, maybe. <laughs> I love that in the middle of his pitch meeting, he stands up for Shelly Winters. They're like, they're like, listen, 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 fat old lady. Why don't you just stand over here? And meanwhile, Gene Hackman is drowning to death, which I guess is just how you drown. You die. But he's like trapped under some metal and dying. And everyone's like, no, no. Why don't we all just stand here and do nothing? And she's just like, I'll catch you suckers later. And boom. And she goes, they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And and her husband stops the group and says, let her go. She knows what she's doing. Way to stand up for your wife, man. I love that this character likely knows that she might have. I mean, he knows that she's vulnerable and he knew that it meant everything to her to do this and was so proud of her. Right. And. She was going to do it no matter what. And so this idea that she needed to do it and he knows that she needed to do it. Right. That's what I I love that he recognizes and supports her capabilities. You know, like there's there's this 
there's this impulse to protect the ones you love. Obviously, it's like you uh, you know I imagine if Bird and I are in some life threatening situation, your first impulse is going to be stand behind me, go over there, no, don't touch that. You know, like as much as you can do to keep them out of harm's way. But I really respect and admire the fact that he's like, all right. We need a certain set of things in this moment, and I'm so desperately afraid that I'm going to lose my wife, but I have to try. He respects her as an, as a human, as an adult, as a capable person, as someone who wants to contribute. He does. He's, he is the only person in this group, other than Gene Hackman a little bit, who doesn't infantilize her or patronize her. Absolutely. And to see a woman portrayed that way in a film in the early 70s is rare. Very, yes, very much so. Um, of course, they picked the elderly fat woman to do it with, but, you know. <laughs> Which is, um, it makes it even a little bit kind of more impactful, you know? she's She's got yeah. a couple extra 1970s cards against her in this movie, right. and yet they mm-hmm. still give her her moment. And give her a few defenders, which is, dude, hats off to this flick. In that scene, when Gene Hackman's like, Gene Hackman patronizes Shelley Winters hard when she's like, let me do this. Hold your breath. You made it 30 seconds. I can hold my breath for 500 hours. And he's like, oh, I got this. I think I can swim through a little corridor. And then when he goes underwater, he spends the first like 10 or 15 seconds fucking with his flashlight. He's like, yeah, hold on. Let me just, let me, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this underwater. I'm talking now. I shouldn't be letting right. air out, but hold, uh, never mind. I'm not going to breathe check, in. Check your batteries yes. and <laughs> do that before you go underwater, sir. Think about turning that on before. Yeah, huh? he gets. Oh, goddamn! These batteries look like they got some. Uh, exactly. He gets like down that. there and he's like, "Oh, it won't come on." Uh, hmm. Well, the, the surface is right there. Should I go get more air? Nah. Actually, let me just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pop a button here take the shirt off and just should i catch a breath before i start swimming <laughs> this will be fine it's just so oh my god it's you know and of course it's intentional because you're just sitting there on your couch like you screaming at your television like swim swim hackman no no <laughs> the clock is ticking man oh okay i did have i did have one there was one thing in this movie that well, I mean, other than the ending, which we talked about at the beginning, because that's about, yeah. how the show works. But there was there was something I didn't like is after. No, you need to watch it and come back around. Right, but this is different. This is when Shelley Winter has her heart attack. Right, I don't I don't like the Ernest Borgnine joke. No, because that no, is very not... clearly that is clearly a cheap shot joke at that at a dead woman. I do not like that. When Ernest Borgnine nope. looks at Shelley Winters's corpse and he says. You had a lot of guts, lady. A lot of guts. That's just kicking a dead dog. I didn't like that line at all. That's the only time in the movie where I thought that one that that a joke landed in bad taste. Never, I, that's so interesting. I've seen this movie. Obvious, honestly, no joke. I've probably seen it more than fifty times. That's <laughs> without a doubt. I never, not once until you brought it up, took it as a joke. I feel like remember earlier you were saying how some of the stuff felt like the filmmakers were like kind of using people like puppets to signal something to the viewer. I feel yeah. like I feel like what Ernest Borgnine's character is genuinely saying is you were brave. But the way that it's worded is sort of a wink at the audience like, "Hey, remember how fat she was?" You know, but I don't think his character means it that way, like, but well, No, that's so interesting. I love that. I love hearing different perspectives. I it never hit my ear that way. 
I always took it as a wonderful sort of um, conclusion or this, um, here's this guy and, and he and his wife have been so harsh on this, so hard on this woman this whole way through. This hardcore cop finally turns around and so you've got this cop who's his presumably as brave and gritty as they get sure turns around and acknowledges how gritty and brave this woman is but i never took it that way i love that though i love hearing different perspectives yeah i'm see, gonna I'm definitely gonna look at it differently the next time <laughs> well that love see it. that but that's how i that's how i think that i think that that character is saying it genuinely but I think that the yeah. filmmakers are winking at us through him, and I think it cheapens his yeah. sentiment. I, I would have liked to see something nonverbal there, you know, like have right. Ernest Borgnine have a quiet moment with this person who he's kind of given shit to. Um, so I be- you're right. God, that's so true. The, la- the last real thing I have is pretty much at this point we're at the end of the movie. The next thing we get to is the engine room. We climb up the ladder. We get uh, Gene Hackman screaming at God. But right before that, Linda dies suddenly and out of nowhere at the very end. I wasn't sure about that. I understand that we need Linda to die so that Ernest Borgnine can have his dark night of the soul so that after our preacher character dies, we can have this secondary character, the the uh, Rusty Pockets, uh, Red but- Buttons. Ted- red Buttons. Ted- red Buttons, thank you. God, I'm so sorry, actor. She you is Red Buttons. But, but we, get, we get this great moment of the preacher sacrificing himself for his flock, and then we have a rudderless crew at the door of salvation, the literal door of salvation, because when they cross through that door, they're in the hall. Yeah. They're there. They, they're at the door, and they can't cross. They None of them have anything left, and it falls upon that sort of, like, reflection, that, that light reflection of Gene Hackman's character to talk Ernest Borgnine out of his grief and mourning, which, again, this is a movie that shows the aftermath of death, which is very powerful. Linda's death is so sudden, and come to love those two characters, their relationship, their arc. That was a hard one. At at the very, very tail end of this, we lose this. And, and you were talking earlier about how for 72, this is a pretty progressive movie. She's a former prostitute. And right. here's a male character who's talking about, he's not saying like, Oh, what do you mean? One of your old clients is here and he recognized you? I'll knock his block off any man who touched my wife. He's like, so what so? if he so what if he notices who you right. are? Whatever. I don't care. So, I, this hard this hardened cop when he says if the so quietly and this man who's so bulky and big for him so quietly to say, if it bothered me, I wouldn't have married you. That, I mean it's just that's why I love that scene again yes. so much. Yes. And I love that you brought up this relationship that is presumably really contentious because they're just constantly at each other right. the whole way. The bitch uh. even kisses the priest at midnight. <laughs> never see him kiss. But yes, for her to die was, but at that point, seeing anybody else die was fucked up. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah. we, everyone should be making it here. What yeah, Another what? Jason out of the water moment. If you look at just like the distance from, they lose three people within probably 500 yards of the exit. It's horrible. That's... It's like Shelly Winters goes down, <laughs> Linda goes down, the uh, Gene Hackman this goes the, down. This is the bus you're looking for, and it blows up. Yeah, literally, yeah. they're like, they're like, and there's the exit door. 
random death boom, boom, three boom, boom, times. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, like just like, half the cast. It's not quite half, but like almost half the cast dies in like the last, the final stretch, dude. It's, well, I have you now, and I wasn't even rooting for you. So before before this all comes to a conclusion, have either of you seen Beyond the Poseidon Adventure? No, is there a sequel to this? Yes, there is. Oh, shit. How? Not is Poseidon. it like the rest of the people at the bottom of the ocean being like, we can make it? <laughs> Listen, we have herbs. It is the craziest. It's so bad. It's so many different levels of bad. I can't even describe it. What they do is different, a couple of different companies go on like an expedition mission to um, get all the the gold or get all the treasures that were left down there. Sure. And it's fucking tacky as shit. (laughs) It's terrible. It is long drawn out. It is just awful and has it never really other than the fucking ship never links back to the to the first movie <laughs> uh yeah i think this is this is called uh beyond the cash grab or something like that like anything we can do to lash this franchise oh it's the halloween three of the poseidon adventure michael right. myers is not in it there's leprechauns. Stonehenge plays like a, a big part. Bo- 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 like the Concord 79 of the airport franchise. Like, oh, this one. <laughs> one we know what planes are out. now. Let's make a comedy out of it. Yeah, exactly. so this this movie's got Denzel Washington in it, and he flies a plane. Why don't, should we call it Top, oh, top Gun that's 2? That's one of my favorite movies, by the way. Right, but that's like oh, saying I... that that movie is a sequel to Top Gun because it's got a plane oh, fair and enough. a pilot. Sorry. <laughs> right. So um, yes, I was like, oh, there is a sequel like, beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, it's I just added it to my list of actually good movies that I need to watch because you gotta you gotta shuffle a little shit into your three card money every once in a while, you know. And then we then we get the end. I I like how I like how the end of this movie. I, this movie understands that it has made you sit through some tension. It has really given you some anxiety. I love that they don't... I like the pacing of the very end. We bang on the hull for a while and we get no response. We bang on the really? hull again and then we get a little response. That little response, the second that you hear a definite bang, 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 dude, it yep. is... It, 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 Carl was doing the like the you bubble might, in your you chest. You breathe. You oh. breathe for the first time in yes. two hours, that right. gasp. <gasps> yeah, you get lightheaded it's, just it's from actually having oxygen again. This movie, that that very faint echo back, that little bang, bang, boom, boom. Yes, yes. Oh, oh you breathe for the first time in two hours. It is unfor. It is unfortunate that they from that point. It isn't. They they just expedite it right to the end. They don't. Yeah. Right. They don't draw it out any longer. They just save them. Like, okay, then you see yep. that. Right, they and then the, get out. Right, the rescue crew kicks open that little section of the hull. All the survivors are blind because they've been staring at a welding torch for several minutes. <laughs> I during that scene, I'm like, they're all staring at that. All these Look people are blind. Way. Like, what are you doing? There's special. There's special masks. Just for people whose job it is to look at that fucking bead. Don't be doing this, guys. You're so close to freedom, and now they're all like, oh, uh, where's the rescue? I'm, <laughs> I'm all blind. I'm all blind. <laughs> but yeah, I really I really dug that. I dug, I, I love this movie a lot, actually. It's it's really yeah. good. 
there's more to it than you think there is. But if you if you just want like a fun adventure movie and you don't want to look any deeper, this is movie's got it, that covered. It can too. be all those things and more. Yeah, totally. You're right. It could be that too. You can just put it on and not want to. You don't have yeah. to. You don't have to go deep at all, right. and it still will be satisfying. <laughs> I've got nothing else. Do, uh, closing yeah, thoughts. I would say that modern disaster films do not do that anymore. They do not. Uh, add, they don't add the explanation. They don't. No, they don't. I feel like a lot of modern disaster films. And again, I look, man. I love Big Ass Spider. I have watched Big Ass Spider four times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> final closing thoughts. Final thoughts on the Poseidon Adventure. Um, Michelle, so you you brought this movie to me. I saw this for the first time. <laughs> this episode is your fault. Entirely. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this. If you have not introduced yourself to films from the 70s, if you're somebody who is younger, let this be the first one. Just give it a chance because it get, it shows you the brilliance of filmmaking before CGI, before they had the trickery of computers to be. It just shows how yes. the, the effort and the sweat and tears and blood that these filmmakers and 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 people the crew put into filmmaking let this be the one absolutely and then right after that watch cage t and then yeah (laughs) (laughs) because they also didn't try very hard in the 70s as well it's hit or miss (laughs) so um carl what are i know you watched this a year ago but this is obviously near and dear to your heart final i love final thoughts i mean clearly all three of us recommend the shit out of it yeah yeah Yeah, amazing but what I'll say at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, the movies that you love, wrap them up with you. Yeah. This yeah. holiday season. Well, happy happy Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just started it away. <laughs> if you have strong opinions about the Poseidon Adventure, drop us a line at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. Well, go down in history. <laughs> we are a listener supported podcast. Not um, anymore. We. <laughs> We were, we were a listener supported podcast. We're looking, we're in the market for some new patrons after today's episode. So if you are looking for a shit show to throw some, some, some scratch at, head on over to patreon.com slash cool and film Q U I L L A N D F I L M. Um, we actually, it's kind of funny, Carl, before, before we crashed this one into the ocean just now, um, we just, we picked up a new patron. So, uh, we did. So new, so, uh, patronage of the show comes with all sorts of cool perks. Um, you can head on over to, like we said, patreon.com slash Quillen film. You can get full length bonus episodes, um, all sorts of cool special features. People are talking to each other in the comments. Most of our patrons are hilarious. Um, and uh, you can also get shout-outs on the show, which sound a little something like this. We would love to thank. Let's start with our newest patron. Thank you so much, Leslie Ty. We would also like to thank, uh, who was just a special guest on our show, uh, go and listen to the, uh, the, the Legend of Billie Jean episode that just came out. Excellent conversation, which apparently I almost derailed near the end there, but... <laughs> Turned out okay. Um, we would also like to thank Cynthia Van Manen, Cassandra, William Rockwood, 
Sister Sarah Hartley, Kevin Ramirez, Kelly and Mike Wagner, Casey Scheibe, Jeffrey T. Morgan, who will be on our show, um, I believe, next Sunday. We're having him on to yeah. do. Uh, we're not going to announce what it is, but we're having film, him on. Yeah. It's a it's a He's film we've, we've mentioned on the show before. We've never covered it. It's A24. That was his request. He wanted to do an A24 film, so we picked a fucking weird one for him. Um, we'd also like to thank David Rowney, Daniele Hartelli, uh, Connor Sweeney, and the one, the only, well, actually, this is probably a fairly common name, but he's the only one that we give a shit about, Brian Jackson. Thanks, Jackson. Bucko. Also, uh, caveat, all other Brian Jacksons who listen to the show, we love you, too. He just gives us money, so. Um, <laughs> so, thank you all so much for supporting our show. Everybody who doesn't support our show, thank you all so much for listening to our show. It's You are the people that we do this show for. Michelle, where can people go and listen to your amazing show where you say controversial things about Christmas films? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck Adrian Cronauer. He can suck your penis. Oh, my God. All right. Um, so Lethal Weapon was not a Christmas movie. I'll stand by that. To the day I die, go to Z93Hits.com. It's actually 92.9. On the dial. <laughs> 92 9 on the Thank dial. Thank you guys so much for having me again. Oh. I love this. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Now that we know that you like creature features and we have discovered other disaster flicks, I'm hoping we can drag you back in, in, onto the mic every once in a while. I can assure you I'm as obsessed with creature feature films as I am disaster. I would love to come back. So thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Well, it's 2020, so let's go do what all of us do when the sun goes down this year. Let's go and drink copiously and watch something on our televisions. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, We will talk to you all next time, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We love you. Don't go on any cruise ships. They're fucked up and dangerous.